Hello, today I'm back at it, diving into AI for AI. Wait, really? Yes, you heard that correctly. AI is now being used to optimize AI models and create real-world outcomes. AI is further disrupting things in financial services areas, and especially in things that are sitting on top of blockchain. Yes, these may seem like tech-heavy topics, but in reality, this is tech that is already being applied today, and we will see more of this in new ways, such as the metaverse. So joining me today to explore and explain these things is Dr. Leslie Cuthin. He's the CEO of Turin Tech, researcher for UCL Center for Blockchain, and has published several research papers on things such as algorithmic trading, quantitative big data analytics, and more. So how do all these things intertwine? And further, how are our emotions playing into all of this? Well, stay tuned to learn more. Well, hello, Leslie. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. It's a pleasure to be chatting with you and uh, some exciting stuff we'll be, we'll be diving into today and uh, can't wait to get, get started. But uh, hey, before we kick that off, I was wondering if you could just give a brief introduction of a little bit about yourself and uh, a little bit about uh, Turin Tech. Sure, fantastic. So just give a brief intro. Um, so I'm Leslie Canton. Um, I'm a CEO of Turing Tech. Uh, I have a background in mathematics, specializing in graph theory. I did that at Warwick and then continued to do multiple masters in the area of uh, machine learning, artificial intelligence, and more graph theory, basically, before going on to do a PhD as well in the area of uh, uh, machine learning using graph-based methods. So um, I'm also associate uh, um, researcher at UCO in the center for blockchain technologies. And I have um, over 10 years experience in financial services, mainly in the area of automated market making, quantitative trading, quantitative research and data science. So um, that's myself and Turing Tech is uh, a company that spun out um, from UCO and from industry where we specialize on solving that very problem that I came across within industry, namely, um, optimization of models that is becoming rampant with the advent of big data. And it's based on um, a paper that uh, we had published at UCL, um, me and the three other co-founders uh, who have similar background as myself. Um, this paper is uh, called Darwinian Data Structure and it essentially scientifically proves that we can optimize code. Yeah, and I'll, I'll share that, that uh, link show. to that paper in the uh, uh -huh. show notes so people can dive into that. But uh, yeah, it's it, the, that approach is quite fascinating because, like you said, there's this sprawl of data, obviously. I mean, it's exponential growth going on. And on top of that, we're infusing AI and machine learning to help us obviously derive insights, uh, create more efficiencies and processes, all, all kinds of things people are doing with that uh, approach from a business aspect. And there's that the creative ideation aspect that's going on with AI with, uh, well, now with a huge emphasis on like the metaverse and, and so forth and where things are headed with all that. A uh, lot of buzzwords, but uh, I'm all about the, the practical uh, real world things, which I think is what you were diving into here. And I really love the, the fact of the optimization because uh, 
for so long, you know, we've, I mean, there's coach brawl as well on top of all this. And when you talked about the different uh, models that are being infused with this mm-hmm. large and big, you know, big data sets, large data, um, yeah. it, it does come across as, as there are inefficiencies in all of that. And then too, if you think about it, there's multiple teams and people working on things Correct. together. Each person has their own sort of <clears throat> way they do things that can make things <laughs> bloated, to be quite frank, you know, <laughs> dare <blow>. I say, <laughs> yes, code blow. Code blow. Uh, yep. 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 And so it's, it's curious. I've just, so when you're looking at the AI to optimize it, what's the end result outcome? And I think you covered this in the research paper, but you could explain that in a nutshell it's it to me it sounds like there's a lot of um yeah uh value in reducing like sure. consumption of things there could be yeah. real world uh impacts here from sure. cost perspectives and, and more but i was wondering if you could share that a bit actually you know you've kind of uh summed up the key points from the paper so that's uh mm. that's quite good um <laughs> yeah look um when we mean optimization so Everybody's building models right now. And we start from the basics of where we are optimizing code. That is where our frontier is, and that's our speciality research. So what we're trying to do here is that we take a variety of unique approaches is machine learning. So we use cutting edge techniques, and the the goal is for us to reduce the memory, the CPU, and the energy consumption of code essentially. So this obviously translates to models because models use code, they're written in code. So we do a variety of these techniques with that in mind to make those models very efficient. By that, we mean that we're reducing the compute time that it would normally cost to generate those models in the first place. We're also improving the model's performance and accuracy So making them more efficient so you don't need to keep on manually churning out models and generating models. And at the same time, this is, of course, hitting the margins by making it cost efficient. It's greener. So you're saving the energy costs, right? And you're getting the results quicker. So that means that you're also getting to the profits very quicker for businesses in particular. So it it makes you wonder if it's... uh... (laughs) kind of challenging those that are creating these uh, code-based models if they're, uh, they can learn from it to improve their code uh, methodology and approach. And then um, I think I've talked about code bloat and, and multiple people and teams getting in there. But uh, does it also account for the fact that uh, obviously new code and models are introduced frequently? Uh, so does it go back and review the full scope and say, okay, we've introduced something new Therefore, we need to make X more efficient in these areas. I'm assuming it, it uh, understands, in other words, or is aware, in other mm-hmm. words, of newly introduced code models. Yeah, I think this is, we very much do that. This is what we term as AI for AI. So you generate mm-hmm. AI models, but they're continuously being monitored. And as you feed it more data, and as new models are being compared, then your own model that itself is an AI model is being improved as it's going through an ever learning process. So it's this, it's almost like a symbiotic relationship if you think about it between, like you said, the AI for AI, but it requires that 
that optimization and continual learning, introducing a new code, learning from that. So it's a continual cycle that I, I see going on. That, sure. uh, and then the output, I, I like in your, your research that you've, you've uh, called out the real world savings at the end of the day here from yeah. the optimizations. Uh, so it's not just, hey, you know, here's our pie in the sky goal, yeah. but you've actually done it and achieved it. And I think that's what yeah. I'm talking about, those real world practical it's one thing to say it and market it and the other thing to really deliver upon it and, and see that the results. And I, I've got to ask, I mean, with all this optimization that uh, the AI is turning through and, and doing, are there common things you're running across, across these code models that are, that could be avoided in the first place or improved, you know, as they go along, or is it just, again, yeah, I mean <laughs> The good thing about this is when we do this for models and particularly at the code level, right? So we're optimizing the data structures mm -hmm. and we're optimizing the parameters. Um, so you can think of it as pretty much everything to do with that model mm -hmm. we're optimizing. And the good thing is the transparency is full there, fully there. Um, mm -hmm. So this isn't a black box. You get the model code back as output. So you mm -hmm. can see exactly what we've done. And from that, you can learn. And as you said, you can see, okay, so that's how they've done it. They've changed that loop or that's how they have done it. They've improved this um, model by modifying the parameters. They're using this type of uh, machine learning model inside of the strategy. So you can see everything that is being done automatically as you've got the code. Well, and I like that the output is, it, it goes along the lines of that transparency is that explainable AI, yep. you know, to make sure that they understand what is it doing, you know, what it did ingest, what is it doing? And then what's the output of that and explain it to me yes. in easily uh, digestible information. Uh, because out of that, once you have the explainable AI, if you think about it, you're, you're making it better for non tech folks to understand the impact in the business because yep. at the core if you go back up here's the core of what it's doing if you go up a few level levels you know and they're trying to optimize their business their strategy why are we leveraging this data why are we infusing it with ai in the first place and then at the end of the day now we can save some potential costs consumption costs because a lot of these um uh, uh cloud usages and things of that nature most of them are consumption based when you're you're coming to a data and AI usage. So you can be saving money in the long run. So it's uh, amazing that that you found this practical use case for that. Um, so yes. I, I do want to shift gears here a bit because uh, you, you touched on it a bit about uh, uh, you know the blockchain and so forth that that's uh, emerging more and more. Um, and uh, I think it's it's really causing disruptions in, in the traditional mindsets around financial services of, for things that have been in place and institutionalized for so long that it's the uh -huh. disruption in there. <clears throat> and I was uh, uh, digging into your um, uh, piece you had on the cryptocurrency trading comprehensive uh, nice. survey. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And there was something that jumped out to me I thought was, was quite fascinating and it was around the usage of uh, NLP, natural language uh -huh. processing. Uh, and it was the sentiment-based research, yep. because if we think about it in the in the light of this trading, and then obviously this newly 
still people still feeling feeling it out to you know crypto yep. uh, trading um sentiment does play into that it's almost like sure. a, a feeling around it's a some places it's a fad you know people jumping on the whole nft thing for example um mm -hmm. the the ups and downs of ethereum that's been going on lately oh yeah um so it it makes you wonder if according to this you know sentiment-based research how much is factoring into people's decisions and in, in their uh you know when they're trading and obviously in light of the cryptocurrency what what are you finding there or, or what can you explain a little bit more about on that sentiment-based uh research that you're doing sure i mean you know like it's good it's good you mentioned it's a very interesting topic because um artificial intelligence and distributive technology specifically blockchain mm -hmm. um they're the two frontiers right now at the moment and one of those we are seeing now in the market is cryptocurrency trading um which is the focus it's one aspect of uses blockchain in some particular way then you have currency that people are trading um now, the thing with this is that um, with that um, uh, survey paper that you mentioned regarding the cryptocurrency trading, what's very important is this is this paper combines both elements. It combines the elements of our AI optimization um, and also how that can be applied to um, cryptocurrency trading by using sentiment analysis. And just to break it down so that you know your listeners and viewers um, understand this more simply. So we all know about trading and a lot of people are buying cryptocurrency. They buy at one price, they sell at another price or they short, you know, at different ways of doing this. So there's a lot of data out there. And at the same time, we notice that um, if uh, an individual such as Elon Musk puts something out there in Twitter, it can either negatively or positively affect the cryptocurrency prices. And, and we've seen that very consistently, right? So you don't have to be an AI specialist to see the correlation on that alone, right? So what we do know is just from um, key individuals, they can essentially move the market. So now you're looking at the rest of the data, right? So that's just one element. You have news, you have media, right? You have um, volume. There's a lot of elements that can move the prices and change them. And we have a lot of volatility as a result of that. So what we did is um, we used our model generator and optimizer to effectively model this using NLP and using sentiment analysis. So we could churn out a model very quickly and then we could exploit this to see how the cryptocurrency was moving and essentially make those trades more efficient. So it was a combination of those two. So that's what um, uh, we see with um, the implementation of AI optimization within uh, cryptocurrency trading. And what you additionally see is through this is how sentiment bias can affect the cryptocurrency. And that's essentially um, the, 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 um, the preamble of the actual paper and explaining how the performance of these cryptocurrency trading strategies can um, improve with good capture of the sentiment data that you have. Well, it also could probably highlight and surface uh, those that are new to it, you know, uh, new to trading, but also newer to crypto trading, if you think yeah. about it. And those that are a bit more experienced, you can kind of uh -huh. see 
if they're they're caught up in the hype of certain things or news in certain ways versus others that it could be more influenced by uh like i said a tweet for example yeah. that goes out so that's that's fascinating in in light of the uh a lot of the volatility around uh crypto and how it's still being again it's still being explored uh in a lot of fronts as far as a is a strong you know contender with a lot of the uh foundational currencies that are you know been around for ages uh and and also how can we uh leverage the blockchain better in light of all this on, on top of that because a lot of people are still trying to feel to figure out well how can i how can i leverage the blockchain and 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 financial services but even more so in other transactional ways uh you know uh blockchain for retail blockchain for other industries i've, I've seen that more and more so it, it'll be interesting to see where things shape up. But one thing I'm seeing that's that's causing some ripple effects and some uncertainties that people are trying to figure out is these DAOs. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. These. Yeah. Uh, so it in impacting the well, not only the crypto markets, but I think just traditional banking in, in general of what's yeah. going on. And there, uh, it, it's almost like this whole decentralized mentality versus. Uh, uh, is really shaking up that traditional, you know, large banking institutions and kind of what they own and what goes through them. Uh, so it's, uh, how do you see the DAOs really impacting crypto and are, are, are any of that surfacing and stuff that you're analyzing? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, definitely DAOs is very uh, important to the blockchain space and to crypto. We're mm -hmm. seeing more and more of this, uh, interest coming about because of the way they operate and they work they essentially mm -hmm. allow for approval and authentication by use of uh, a kind of group member voting system this uh, incorporation allows for certain actions to take place so you know you could think of it in terms of you may have uh, as you mentioned those use cases like banks and financial institutions right where compliance and fairness is very important and to be able to operate and flow with those transactions. So having DAOs inside of that prevents um, a one person takes all methodology where someone may try to exploit, exploit something within the organization or try to overtake other member votes. This is something that gives a kind of equitable solution to those kind of problems. And we're seeing this uh, use cases you mentioned like um, because there's a lot of um, this activity around uh, transparency and being fully public. And that uh, that's uh, something that I feel will be very regulator friendly. Um, and, you know, regulator friendly means that you're going to have more uh, products that using and underpinning that, that you would see, like essentially products that are crypto based products, for example, could end up being more approved. Right. Well, and it, and it, a couple of fronts there. It, it I'm, it'd be curious to see of how the impact of you know the the risk of uh, uh, you know insider trading and things like that that still yeah. happen since we're exposing transparency of what's going on. And obviously, with the blockchain, you're you're trying to establish that provenance of that transaction or the thing uh, that uh, was put onto the blockchain. But uh, it also that a fairness that you're talking about it. I could even see it down at um, like with people trying to get a loan for something, you know, um, 
a lot of times, <laughs> unfortunately, still exists. You know, it's who you talk to that can help you out versus, yeah. you know, being that practical, hey, it's based on these things. Uh, we're being yeah. open and transparent around it. And here's other opportunities uh, for you that, you know, versus the who you know <laughs> model. Uh, so I think it's going to shake up a lot of just traditional notions of a lot of things that are, unfortunately, have been baked in to these areas for quite some time that I think uh, it's, again, it's that word force, I think. It's forcing people and companies to really shift what's going on and how they think. I mean, um, yeah, I, I alluded to the metaverse earlier, but it's uh, it's it's crazy. It's almost like this uh, reimagination of of uh, uh, you probably remember Second Life or even yeah, Sims. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. things yeah. like I that. Remember, I remember yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it it, uh, <laughs> it strikes me as like uh, there there's a person I'm familiar with, Christopher Lockhead. He's got these uh, mm -hmm. way he looks at things is uh, is called um, native digitals and native analogs. You know, folks that were probably like us that grew up and transitioned into the internet yeah. age, cell phones and so forth. Whereas others yep, yeah. are native digitals that yeah. they just grew up with something in their hands since they were sure. you know, old enough. And that's the way they think first digital first, yes. you know? Yeah. Uh, and they're all in on this whole metaverse thing. And, and yeah. obviously with cryptocurrencies and blockchain uh that we've discussed they're all in on that as well and we're going to see this convergence coming together i believe with a lot of this stuff even through the metaverse playing into some of this i mean you're going to have digital banking going on inside of the metaverse people are going to be yep. figuring out how they can trade crypto through there in a digital bank uh, if you think about it uh so it's it's shaking up a lot of things that uh uh unfortunately it's going to uh, uh native analogs are going to have to adapt and it's uh and learn i think it's it's us to, uh, our chance to learn of what's going on but also infuse some experience behind it in certain ways you know uh yep. kind of been there done that uh and say hey you don't want to it goes back to that um uh sentiment-based uh topic that i talked about sure. you can almost see if you applied that sentiment-based uh, uh analysis inside the metaverse to all of this uh -huh. crypto trading it'd be interesting to see if those that are uh sort of these native digitals what that sentiment looks like versus yep. the native analogs that are coming into it sort of new but looking at it through a different lens so yep. it makes it uh fascinating what what the outcomes would be well hey uh kind of winding down things here a bit uh, i was wondering hey we, did, we kind of covered a lot of things here mm. optimization of ai blockchain crypto touched on the metaverse a bit and uh, some yep. DAOs. But uh, I was wondering, is there a couple of key takeaways that you want to share with listeners around, uh, specifically around the, the whole AI uh, component to, um, sure. and this optimization? Uh, so yeah. I wonder if you could share that. Definitely. Um, so I think, first of all, you, you know, um, it was fantastic uh, talking with you. And also, uh, I share the same take that you do on the metaverse. Mm -hmm. I think that, um, you know, metaverse is quite visionary. And as we are making the transition towards that, there will be people that will essentially grow up with the metaverse mm -hmm. already having existed and be familiar with that technology space. But to go to your question on a couple of takeaways, yeah, definitely. I think, look, um, AI is really taking off. We're seeing that now. 
Um, and you know, you can see that from the share prices of two or three of the largest um, hardware suppliers for AI. Um, the share price is going through the roof because the consumption for uh, hardware is massive. And equally, the consumers that are using this hardware also have numerous use cases. Um, 10 years ago, uh, you could go to an institution and maybe they would start to adopt some AI and they would have maybe a couple of models floating around every month or so. Now people are churning out thousands and thousands of models, you know, daily. So the problem here is that which of those models is efficient? Which of those models is really good? Um, which of those can I get the best cost saving? Because you're not going to have the time to manually generate and build and tune those models. Um, and at the same time, cost, you're not going to have the cost for doing that. Well, cloud cloud compute is going up, right? And, well, I, I was going to interject, if you don't mind. It, it, yeah, it brings sure. to mind uh, a lot of the, um, you know, the Bitcoin mining that goes on. The yeah. Huge um, mining farms, really, that are out there. <laughs> Uh, how much yeah. the massive energy consumption that's going on. I and mean, there's some of these sure. that are massive facilities in place yeah. uh, just to mine and the consumption, the energy costs are through the roof. I mean, some of them are as much as, a, you know, decent sized cities <laughs> they're consuming on, oh, correct. on correct. It, and yeah. introducing something like AI optimization around there could help reduce some of that in energy consumption if we're definitely going yeah. towards in the larger picture of the sustainability yeah. approach a lot of people are yes. and companies are going for so and and, and 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 that's a good that's a good point and the thing is i like the fact that you mentioned the crypto mining because the analogy there is look um it's always in the press it's always in the media that you know like there's this farm there's this you know place you know they're mining and they're consuming a lot of power right but imagine what servers are doing today in the ai space they're going through lots of code, they're going through lots of data sets, and they're building model with just as much energy consumption. So AI is actually costing a lot right now, economically, and the profitability from this, of course, there's definitely profitability there, but if you can cut down that cost, if you can reduce the energy consumption, if you can bring down that energy consumption and maintain those targets that you're trying to achieve, then you can achieve good profits and at the same time, reduce that cost. And that would be a big game changer. And that's the space that we're in. And that's where we're focused in, in the optimization of that. That's one of those takeaways, I would say. Well, I, the I appreciate future that. is in that space now. Yeah, uh, because if you think about it, the cost of AI, a lot of people are looking at AI as from a cost savings already initially to help create things mm -hmm. or surface things to do more efficiently or yeah. uh, create uh, insights to make business decisions faster and so forth. Um, and then also, obviously, in our volatile uh, uh, jobs market, you know, there are people are really looking at, you know, sure. headcount and people resources. Yeah. Uh, so do we upskill? And, 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 and it's, and it's, it's yeah, I, I like the fact you mentioned headcount, and that's the other takeaway. This kind of um, research and this kind of productization that we have is not out there to replace people, it's to augment mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. make them more efficient. Because, you know, look, a model 
for, let's say, a particular trading strategy in, let's say, crypto markets may cost $100,000 worth of compute cost to generate that model brute force, right? But if you use very advanced AI optimization techniques, which we have, for instance, right? And you use an optimizer, then maybe you can get as good as model as that, or even better for around $1,000, right? So that's a huge cost saving. That's a 100x cost saving to achieve the similar or better result. You're just getting to the point faster. So right. that's what, you know, I see there. Well, at the end of the day right now, hence kind of acceleration economy, it's speed. It's speed to getting to that end result and how can we do it more efficiently, which is what you're, uh, you're aiming your focus on. But it's got many uh, spokes going out that could impact in a lot of areas where we touched on people, yep. we touched on processes, we touched on cost savings. There's just a lot of different areas that you can look at this. Um, in light of, a, of all the things we just talked about. So it's a, it's a, it does, it, it, it's amazing once you dig into something, how yep. much you can see the impact as, it, as you uh, spiral outwards or the ripple effect, I should say, going outwards. But uh, well, Leslie, thank you so much for the chat today. It's been a pleasure. Oh, uh, I, you know, I just love the, a lot of this stuff so fascinating. I think we we're able to explain a lot of things to kind of pull apart and make it real world, practical, understandable, even though we got a little bit techie and, and, a lot of places, but, uh, <laughs> but Hey, it's all good. And I enjoyed okay. the conversation. Thank you so yeah. much. We'll have to have you on again. Okay. Thank you. Evan. Thank you.